Hi, this is John from the Murphy Giants, and you're listening to Stuck in the 80s. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the weirdness. Why are we wearing bras on our heads? The history. Live Aid. We're coming together. And the simple pleasures. All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Make a hole with a gun perpendicular to the name of this town in a desktop globe. Exit wound in a foreign nation, showing the home of the one this was written. They might be a band you've heard of before, but not knowing their name. They might be my favorite band. And they might be the next concert that Stephanie Hayes and I go to see behind Sean Daly's back. Because they might be giants. In the glow of each other's majestic Hey, it's your buddy, it's your pal, Steve Spears from Tempe.com And with me today, because she loves today's special guest more than uh, life herself, Stephanie Hayes Hey Are you psyched today to uh, talk to John Linnell from They Might Be Giants? Yeah, I'm pretty excited, I like this band a lot I know, I've been waiting, since the creation of this podcast There's like a handful of interviews that I've wanted to do and this is like easily in the top three, no question about it. And oh, I, I know you've been pacing around all day at work, uh, sweating, all nervous, dry heaving into your wastebasket. I, I know, dry heaves galore. Slowing back Mountain Dew and then throwing it back up. <laughs> it's foamy. That's why I like it. <laughs> anyway, um, they might be giants. Is coming to town here in St. Petersburg. They're on a tour supporting their new album, The Else, which actually came out last year. They started touring on it, and they're going to continue their tour. So they're probably coming to a town near you. They're here March 11th at Janice Landing. Uh, Steph and I will be there. Yeah, we'll be there without Sean. Sean, Sean Daly will be home birthing, <laughs> burping a baby. Breastfeeding. Some, yeah, eating Funyuns. Um, quick trivia. Do you know how they got their name? Uh, I used to, but I forget. Tell me. Uh, they Might Be Giants is actually taken from a 1971 film starring George C. Scott and Joanne Woodward. And it's also a line from uh, Don Quixote as well. Don Quixote. Where he confuses the windmills for giants. Oh. But... Uh, They've been around for a long time. They, they, you can sort of argue, are they an 80s band or not? Yes, they are. They formed in 1982 in Brooklyn. If you are still drawing a blank on this band and their music, perhaps this song will help you a little bit more. Question. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me now. And you're not so big. Yes, They Might Be Giants wrote and performed the theme song for Malcolm in the Middle. Love that song, for which they did win a Grammy Award. They also play the theme song for The Daily Show and Jon Stewart. But uh, that's small That's small potatoes. Yeah. I own every band, every song, every album that this, this band has ever produced. I know. Yesterday, Steve came down to my desk with like an anthology in his arms going, well, here's the one from blah, 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 if you want to write track B on the... And I'm like, <laughs> God, Steve. <laughs> Enough chatter out of you. Sorry. If you actually have kids... You probably also recognize They Might Be Giants from Radio Disney and other Disney Channel programming because they've recorded, along with their uh, sort of grown-up albums, they've recorded a number of uh, children's albums, including one that just came out this month called Here Come the One, Two, Threes. Uh, you know, it actually sounds like uh, the regular music, except for uh, mm-hmm. it sort of helps you with your addition, like, uh, like this little tune here. One plus one is two. Two plus two is four. Four plus four is eight. 
need help with addition some days, so that's good. But long before they were helping the future misfits of America count to ten, they might be giants were just two guys who went together to uh, grammar school in Massachusetts. Um, John Linnell, John Flansburg, the two Johns, as they're sometimes called. Uh, they formed. Uh, they might be giants in 1982 in Brooklyn, where they still live today. And uh, a lot of the fans who've been with them from the beginning might remember this little tune. Ha! Don't let's start their uh, first hit off their debut album, released in 1986. Stephanie, do you remember how you actually discovered the band? Uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, I was on television after school <laughs> when I was little. I used to watch the show called Tiny Toon Adventures, which had like miniature Warner Brothers characters, um, and they actually produced two little videos. They did uh, Constantinople and they did Particle Man, and I remember watching them as a little kid, but. You know, as I got older, I actually started listening to the CDs and stuff. And uh, in my senior year of high school, I had a project that I had to do. Um, we had to do a Greek mythology project. And my friend Summer and I adapted the story of Icarus, the boy who gets wax wings and flies too close to the sun and then drowns with his dad. And it's really sad. Um, but uh, we used all these different songs. Like, my friend drew the pictures, and we used songs to kind of narrate the story. And we used uh, They Might Be Giants. Why does the sun shine as, uh, as the song when Icarus is flying dangerously close? And it's really cute. He's, he's really close. And you hear, the sun is a mass of incandescent gas. Take it, Steve. Well, let's let the giants take it. <laughs> Where hydrogen is built into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees. Yo-ho, it's hot. The sun is not a place where we could live. But here on Earth, there'd be no life without the light it gives. I love that song. I do, too. I do, too. It's educational as well. Yeah. So it got me an A, so I thank them for that. I, we just realized today before, we were waiting around. We've been waiting around for like an hour and a half for the phone call to come in from... Uh, from John Linnell for our interview today. And um, so we had lots of time to kill. And we realized this, this shameful discovery today that, that Stephanie and I actually went to the same high school. Oh, I know. We're aghast people. It's really creepy. 15 years apart <laughs> at the same high school. So that was... Uh, we, we were swapping notes on old teachers. Yeah, sad to say. Um, those two songs that you sort of discovered them by, yeah. it's, it's, no, it's, it's a coincidence because those are the songs I discovered them by. In uh, those are off the album Flood, which was released in 1990. And how I came about They Might Be Giants was I forgot to send in my card on the Columbia Record Club thing in time. <laughs> and so one day I got home from work um, and I have the CD waiting for me. You know, and I think I let it sit in my house for like six months before I opened it because I kept thinking, oh, I'll just I'll just I'll just put Return to Sender on it and mm-hmm. send it back. But finally, I opened it up and I played it, and, and I couldn't believe how great it was. Yeah, Birdhouse in Your Soul, you know, uh, you know, Istanbul, not Constantinople, Particle Man—they're all on that CD, and that was, of course, their big breakthrough album. And uh, you know, from then, I've just been a fanatical fan. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, um, 
trying to prep for this interview was like a nightmare because <laughs> I mean I, I had to pare down from like three hundred questions down to yeah I knew I knew we wouldn't have much time but uh, you know back in the day before you know you and I discovered them mm-hmm. they had a really interesting way of. Uh, of publicizing themselves back in the early eighties, they might be giants. Um, used to record songs in their telephone answer machine and call it dial a song. And they would print the number for it in the village voice and other New York papers. And, uh, fans could call up and, and basically just listen to their music for free. If you just want to pay long distance charges, it's kind of risky to call uh, random numbers listed in the village voice. <laughs> you never know. You might find, it's uh yeah I know, <laughs> <laughs> but if you get lucky, it's a they might be giant song and yeah. not a. That's a whole other uh, story. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast, the Village People podcast. <laughs> the um, established fans of the band have said that they've counted as many as five hundred different songs on that machine over the years. Unfortunately, the dial a song, dial a song machine is no longer working. It's dead. Uh, John will talk a little bit about it during the show yeah. about how they came across the idea. These days, of course, these two guys don't need any advertising machines to publicize the band. They have 13 studio albums, a bunch more live albums, compilations. They got the children's uh, music out. They're the latest single off uh, the else is something called I'm Impressed. I'll play a few seconds of it now. Very excellent. But uh, let's not tell the whole story of the band right now because uh, John's going to do that for us. So without further ado, I give you John Linnell. John, thanks for joining the show. Sure. My pleasure. Hey, I've been a big fan forever, and um, it's always been like I don't—I don't want to sound cliche, but I mean, I really have always looked forward to talking to you guys one, at one time or another. He's been pacing around all day, John. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, you're, you're playing here March 11th at uh, in St. Petersburg at Janus Landing, and uh, I got—I got to tell you, I've—I've I've seen you guys play twice, but I've never seen you, you. You've always been with the band. I've never seen you guys play just as a duo. And I'm wondering, you know, how different is it to play, you know, full band versus, you know, back in the old days when you guys just played as a duo? Well, you know, it was so long ago. I mean, we, we in a way, I think our our whole scene was very different then. And I suppose that our our sense of what a band is supposed to be like has changed since then. You know, I mean, I remember it was a major adjustment getting uh, live bass and drums. Uh, into the show, you know, mainly it was just like a lot louder. Um, uh, but once we'd sort of started doing that, we, you know, we haven't really gone back to the duo format ever. Um, as, you know, as a, as a club thing, we've done, we've done small shows, uh, for in store, you know, bookstore appearances and stuff like that. We've generally, it's been John and I and a drummer. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, in some ways, it's still us. I guess the thing about having a band is you have these you have these people on your team, and you feel a little more secure. You know, it's a little less nerve wracking, maybe. When you uh, when you first got started, I mean, did you did you ever get anything thrown at you in these little nasty dive bars? Because <laughs> you know, how did you bring your unusual sound to these you know judgy types and in, in small venues? Well, I have to say, originally, you know, when we started out, we were playing 
in the very um, sort of uh, um, hermetic, you know, safety of uh, the Lower East Side uh, in New York, um, where, you know, we, we started out playing for friends of ours, and then it kind of expanded to other people who were sort of into, you know, a certain kind of alternative experience. Mostly we were performing in clubs that, or rooms that uh, hosted performance art, you know. So we were about the most normal thing <laughs> uh, very very often that was happening. Um, you know, we were actually playing music, whereas a lot of people were doing something that, you know, there wasn't really a, a, a very sort of well-defined description of. Um, I mean, somewhere between modern a- modern dance or and uh, poetry reading and theater, you know, a, a lot of that stuff. So I think that we, we fit right in. You know, we were sort of like, uh, uh, we were kind of welcome in that situation because uh, we were definitely not the most challenging thing happening. Don't, don't, don't let's start. This is the worst part. I could leave for out the world that you were my precious little girl. But don't, don't, don't let's start. I've got a weak heart and I don't get around how you get around. And then gradually, uh, we start, you know, we started touring nationally when we had, uh, some college radio airplay, some, I guess mainly some MTV play. That was kind of how we were able to start going out into the world, was that there were people who had heard of us, who would come to, to see us, you know, who had seen us on MTV or something. Um, so that transition wasn't so bad. I never, I never felt like we were, you know, um, we've never really performed, you know, in that situation where it was like a lot of, people going, show me what you got, kind of thing. It's it's generally been a very sympathetic audience, you know, and we're going on 25 years now of playing in public. Um, I love how you, speaking of the live shows, I love how sometimes you uh, rework an old classic, like the slowed-down version of She's an Angel that you guys play live, or at least you did last time I saw you. And then, uh, or hurrying up the pace of a song like, you know, Why Is the Sunshine? It, uh-huh. Is that something you guys do as sort of a way of keeping the song fresh to you? Or do you just find that years later the songs need to evolve? I think we just forget how they go, you know, <laughs> mainly. <laughs> no, I don't know. You know, I mean, we try, we try and make it interesting each time. But, but um, you know, we're, we're really just trying to do a good good show. I think that's the main thing. We're We're not... We're not really making a, a, a statement about, you know, rejecting an old arrangement. I think often it's like we're trying to make it sound better. That's really the idea. I met someone at the dog show. She was holding my left arm. But everyone was acting normal, so I tried to look nonchalant. Have you ever, have you ever tried one of the old songs in a new way and then found out, yeah, that just sucks? We have had that experience, yes. yes. Like, I don't want to go into details, but we've certainly done the... <laughs> don't do it in, don't do it in this St. Pete. sucks, yeah, kind of thing. Did, uh, what's your reaction when you hear people say that you kind of opened the door for other, you know, geek rock, nerd rock acts like Weezer, or the Decemberists, or Aquabats, you know, those kind of groups who found some success? Um, I mean, do you think that's true in any way? I think that it's really up to any artist or band to just decide to go and do their thing, and they don't... They really don't need permission, or or or, um, or they don't need a precedent. And you know, if they need a precedent, then 
then you know, I mean, that's I, I don't really think that's that's a, that's a serious problem for a band. Um, so, are you guys actually geeks, or uh, do you secretly have hot women hanging off you after every show? I don't, yeah, I don't know what that means either. I mean, we we've never really identified with that that characterization. You know, we don't we don't feel that way. Uh, I don't even know what that is exactly. Um, uh, and I feel like that culture has changed a lot since we started. You know, so that now it seems like you have a lot of sort of just ordinary. It seems very mainstream, actually, to be, for example, to know something about technology. That doesn't seem so weird, uh, if that's what if that's what that means, or or if it means to be into, um, uh, I don't know what, staying indoors or something. That's not who we are. I wrote in my blog a couple weeks ago uh, when I knew when I knew I was going to get a chance to talk to you. Uh, I wrote in my blog to uh, to the listeners uh, out there saying, you know, and I got this amazing feedback from everyone who I, I wrote to said, please tell uh, the two Johns that uh, that everyone wants to thank you for making children's music listenable to again. Uh-huh. And they, I they, appreciate that. They all and and um, the, the overwhelming question that a lot that a lot of your f- fans have that I talk to is like, you know, how how did how did it come about? How did how did you go? Is there a simple answer? I don't even, I think that there could be to how they might be giants or how the two Johns sort of made a name for themselves in 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 this market. Well, we started doing it at somebody's suggestion. It didn't seem like a very serious decision at the time. We were not really thinking of it as a career move, exactly. You know, we 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 just decided to make a kid's record because we had an offer from Rounder Records to put out a CD of children's music. They would put it out. We'd get paid. We, you know, we were in the studio anyway, so we felt like this will be fun, you know. I think that was the main thing. We just thought it, it, it seemed like um, kind of a break from doing stuff that was more high pressure and and was generally taken more seriously. Um, and what we didn't expect was that the kids' record was going to be a big seller, you know, that it was a big event, like pe- pe- people bought a lot of them, and suddenly it seemed like it was a career move, you know, whereas we hadn't been thinking of it that way. And I think part of what was fun about the record was that we weren't really feeling pressured about it. You know, we weren't thinking that rock critics were ever going to hear it or talk about it. So maybe that was part of what was good about it. I've, I've actually yeah. been listening. Yeah, I've been listening to um, both your the new CDs, the the else, and uh, here come the one two threes. Like interchangeable almost to me. I mean, I, I like them equally. Uh-huh. I, for some reason, I don't have kids or anything, but I still love I still love the kid albums for some reason. Yeah, well, that's nice. I think that we 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 do apply the same attitude, you know, to the kids stuff. I, I we we didn't feel like we had to um, edit out the. You know the good parts, uh, just because it was for kids. You know, we 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 are more or less making it good for the same reason. I think, uh, um, and 
I think that's the only thing we know how to do. We don't we don't really know how to uh, anticipate um, the needs of people. You know, we've never really known what people want, so we we just kind of do what we think we would like. Yeah. I think, and and that's more or less how we wrote children's songs as well. Like, what what kind of songs would we want to listen to? Not what what is it that people want. We've never really been able to figure out what people want. So. There is a similarity in that way between the stuff we're doing for adults and the kids' stuff, and and um, the main difference is that the kids' material doesn't have a lot of death imagery or, you know, incredibly grotesque, depressing stuff, uh, the kind of stuff that we would um, feel okay about including in our grown-up work. There's only one everything Remember these words, there's only one everything And if you go out and count up everything It all adds up to one Now when you perform in this tour that you're on right now, do you throw in any of the kids' songs in there as well or no? We're actually doing a couple, yeah. I mean, we're trying to learn some of the stuff off the one, two, threes now. So we've got um, a few in the adult show, just in a way, just to get them up and running. Um and also because they're fun to play, you yeah, know, they're yeah. perfectly okay for a grown-up show, I think. Um, I, I always thought um, Mammals from Apollo 18, which is one of my all-time favorite songs, could could have worked as a children's song. Because I figure if kids could just memorize the lyrics to that song, they're, they're halfway on their way to getting a doctorate in zoology. <laughs> mammals, mammals, their names are called, they raise a the really just entertainment and and i think that that's true of the stuff we generally do for kids is that we're not trying to make we're not trying to cram information to throughouts you know um the stuff that's ostensibly for kids on the abc and one two three dvds are really just for fun you know i mean the kids already know the alphabet you know you don't have to they don't need to buy a dvd to learn the alphabet um but uh, but it's something that uh, you know, in, in a way, it's sort of in disguise. Like it's 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 entertainment disguised as education. Hey, John, what's your take on uh, today's experimental bands in terms of uh, music being done on a laptop? And now, nowadays, a lot of the sounds you use, you know, accordion and woodwind sounds, you can create just by you know pressing keys on your keyboard. Do you think if you know if you could have done this when you started, you would have? And what's your take on all that? Well, when we started, we used, uh, you know, the, on the on the first record we had drum machines, and on the second we started using the, um, the a sequencer on a Macintosh computer. So it wasn't it wasn't all that different. You know, we've always felt like technology was our friend. You know, we didn't feel like this technology was the point of what we were doing, but but it was there to make it uh, easier and you know facilitate ideas and stuff. Speaking of technology, I, I, it's, I find it almost ironic because, you know, back in the the early days of the band, I mean, your one of your greatest marketing uh, ploys for getting noticed was simply the use of a, an answering machine for a dial mm-hmm. song. I just kind of wonder whose whose idea was it? How, what was the genesis of that? It was just one of those things that was out there. Um, John Flansburg had the idea, and initially, it seemed like well. I hope we don't get in trouble for doing this. You know, we thought maybe there's some law that says you can't like 
advertise your band by having people call up an answering machine. But it turned out nobody was bothered. You know, I, I think we were interested in anything that was a sort of a personal and alternative way of of consuming music. Um, we'd heard about this band. I still don't know who this was. We heard about a band in Holland who actually pressed their song, their single, onto that machine that goes inside the, you know, G.I. Joe, the, the thing where you pull the string and it, and it you know, you let go of it and it plays a voice. Oh, they actually cool. had a song that was pressed onto one of those. And you, so you could sell, they sold that in like boutique stores and you could get the thing and like listen to it as you're walking home kind of thing. <laughs> you know, this is back in the early 80s. I mean, stuff like that always seemed incredibly appealing to us because it made it a more personal experience. Like you, you get to own the thing. It's not through some intermediary, you know, um, you don't have to go to a particular kind of music store or rock club. You know, you can just, you can just have it yourself. I mean, I, I, in some way, I think dial a song seemed to fit into that, even though it did involve a multinational corporation, the phone company, but aside from that, it's, it seemed like it always seemed like a very personal experience. You know, that you call up and hear a song, and you were the only person on the line at that moment. And uh, you know, and and I think people felt like it was their their personal discovery. You know, um, which was a big part of what was appealing, I think, about Dial a Song. Are we? Uh, are you ever going to get around to playing any of the songs live from your uh, your solo CD state songs? Oh, I did a whole tour. Um, I wish it, did, I wish you'd like, come down to Florida yeah. on that. Of course, you didn't do a Florida song. <laughs> no, no, not only that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't play everywhere. I played. I played on the on the West Coast, and I played in Chicago, and I did a bunch of shows, you know, in Boston and Philly, and and that was it. It was not a big production, you know. Yeah. It was we were, we were never going to do a big big tour, but I did. You know, I put together a band, and we we played uh, we played about ten. Ten shows around the country, uh, and that was almost ten years ago. <laughs> God, I, I still have that disc. It's in it's in it's in serious rotation in my car. I, I don't think there's one week that goes by where I don't come into work seeing uh, Montana. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. deal with your little songs like like toddler highway for instance i mean a lot of bands you'll come up with a riff and then you'll kind of use it to build a bigger song off of mm-hmm, do you yeah. why do you stop sometimes at just a few seconds i think that there's something very appealing about about super short songs that it doesn't you know it doesn't have to have all this other stuff added on to be interesting and um you know i think that's a great sort of uncelebrated aspect of music is that it can just be a very short thing, a very short experience, and and a kind of an intense experience, and that's that's cool, you know. That's something that we we always liked. Mm-hmm. Like the sh- really short songs, yeah. just were such, such a wonderful, you know, blast. I loved it because the last time I saw you guys, you you did throw in a couple during your performance. You threw in a couple of the tracks from uh, 
from fingertips, you know, from uh-huh. Apollo 18. And I just, I remember seeing it perform live, you know, just every once in a while you'd sprinkle one in there. And I just thought that was the coolest thing to, to see that live is just amazing. We, we started playing the whole thing uh, a number of years ago. We, we, we actually, we spent about a week in a rehearsal studio learning how to play the whole set of like however many 21 little tracks it is. Yeah. Yeah. 21 and, separate uh, tracks. And um, once we learned it, we had to keep playing it because, you know, it was so hard to remember that if we stopped, we'd forget the whole thing. So we we still do that one. I don't know whether we'll play that in Florida, but we but we um, but we have been playing it. Uh, you got you got to at least play the snippet from "I'm Having a Heart Attack." That's my favorite one. <laughs> I'm having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. I got so you won. Uh, a Grammy back in 2001, 2002 for the theme song for Malcolm in the Middle. What was that experience like winning a Grammy? Oh, it was very weird. You know, I think we felt like we were imposters, you know. We, I mean, the weird thing was we got there thinking, like, we we seriously didn't belong there, you know. And we'd always made fun of the Grammys for our whole lives. Um, and then we were thinking when we were sitting there and they were announcing you know, what if we win? Well, what do we do? What, you know, what do we get up and walk down this way? And then, and then we, and then, you know, it's sort of like, well, what the hell are we talking about? We're never going to win this. You know, this is ridiculous. So the whole thing was a very dreamlike, you know? Um, and, uh, we, we pretty much stopped making fun of the Grammys after that. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say, you know, we, we kind of, it kind of shut us up in a way, which was maybe the point, you know, you, they they give you one so you'll stop mocking them. <laughs> I don't know. I I, I appreciate it if you went on mocking them. <laughs> but uh, so what goals are left now? So you got the Grammy. So you've got. I mean, you, you've got the two careers now. You got the the adult career and still the kids career. What? Yeah. What do you got? What do you well, guys look forward to then? Well, I should tell you that we never had any goals in the first place. You know, <laughs> we we, we, never, we never really right figured out what it was we were going to do. So all of this has been kind of this you know interesting and weird gravy, but. I think we mainly are just compulsive about writing songs and recording them, and it, we would have been doing this no matter what. You know, we 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 um, we're not really out to like. We didn't have a set of particular goals of being famous or anything like that. I think mainly we just wanted to be able to do it. You know, we like songs and we wanted to we wanted to uh, go up and play them and record them and you know have people hear them and that's that's really that's really it i think we'll you know if, if we're lucky we'll get to continue doing that fantastic interview oh my gosh that was fun i was so nervous i gotta admit <laughs> Sweating. The control room is soaked. People, oh, God. you should see it. The entire the entire day, I felt like I was going to throw up. You <laughs> and know, he did a few I, times. I, yeah, just little dry heaves. <laughs> but uh, I get really nervous when it comes to doing uh, interviews, and especially a band that I've listened to as long as they might be giants. Yeah, and so yeah. it's like, yeah, every time the phones rang today, I, I like jumped out of my skin, threw up. You know, yeah, he's really it's, nervous. It's bad. I mean, I'm gonna have to go home and take a shower right now. <laughs> Uh, this is the theme that we come to know as Reader Mail Bag. Hey, it's a segment of the show where we pick one of our favorite emails 
And because Sean Daly's not here, Stephanie is going to read this week's mail from Lexi Frost from Coventry, UK. This is a good letter, folks. This is a, one of our younger listeners and someone that I, I relate to, so we're really glad she wrote in. Here we go. Hello, Steve and Co. That means company. <laughs> Thanks for your never less than entertaining podcasts. They are a great antidote to studying last thing at night, and you have quite a following here in freezing England. Being born in January 1983, I have to stop for a minute. I was also born in 1983. Were you really? Yay, Lexi. Nice. Anyway, I remember the 80s from a slightly different perspective, that of a small child. Can you please do a podcast on children's films from the 80s? Being a kid in the 80s is great. I remember fighting off Philip Pearson's attempt to kiss me while watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit, being scared of David Bowie's tight pants and labyrinth, Loving the Goonies, accidentally kicking two Cambridge students in the back of the head watching Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and hiding behind the sofa during Ghostbusters. That's my life. She just said my life right there. On TV, we had imaginative stuff like Fraggle Rock, Galaxy High, The Gummy Bears, and The Care Bears movies. Also peculiar to the UK, but well worth looking up on YouTube, Grange Hill, where teachers weren't afraid of giving students a good clip around the ear. Rainbow and Button Moon, oh, and Scott and Charlie and Getting Married and Neighbors. The perms had to be seen to believed. That's Neighbors with an OU, folks. Of course, because it's uh, the UK. Right. Other than that, being a child in the 80s involved wearing hand-me-down rah-rah skirts, pretending to be a Thundercat, collecting sanity racers from Happy Meals at McDonald's, thinking that new kids on the block were actually cool. Oh, the shame. No, there's no shame, girl. Work it. And being able to buy chewing gum for 12 pence. Please do something on Labyrinth or the Goonies. You would be the hero of so many people aged 21 to 30. Lexi Frost, Coventry, UK. That is my life, Steve. She is just, really? I love this letter. I've never is, heard of, uh, I've heard of Fraggle Rock and obviously the Gummy Fraggle Bears. Rock. But Galaxy High, is that? I don't know that show, actually. I don't know if that was a, a US some, show or not. There's some UK references in here that, but, uh, but she's. Man. I was under the impression that in the UK you called erasers rubbers. So I wonder whether or not what this is actually from... What you call rubber? What do you call rubber? Hopefully not an eraser. A baby eraser. Uh, um, let's see. A whole show about uh, kid movies from the 80s. I, uh, I'm a fan of that idea. We could probably... I don't know. Do you have to do one show on all of them? We can break them up. I, I know a lot of people have talked about wanting to do a Goonies episode. Yeah. And I, I, I will admit I have never seen more than five minutes of the Goonies. Why not? I love your joke. Oh, I love your song. <laughs> I haven't seen more than five minutes of E.T. Oh, that's weird. No, I have seen Labyrinth. I do remember that. Labyrinth is an excellent movie. Yeah, I will, I'd will. i be in favor of that. Um, who framed, framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, God, I didn't like that movie. Yeah, you know. Ghost- I, I remember being scared yeah, when watching it when I was little. I watched it again the other day on uh, cable. And I, I was like, God, I still don't like this movie. <laughs> Uh, I think Ghostbusters is probably one of the most overrated movies of the 80s, hmm. but I'm, well, I'm sure we'll do a show on it eventually. Well, I'm trying to get you to do a show on my favorite movie from the 80s, child's oh, movie. Tell it. Troop Beverly Hills, starring <laughs> <laughs> Shelley Long and Craig T. Nelson. Oh, it's good. Oh, man. I just only... got it on DVD. I'm so excited. I know. Bargain I mean, bin. You should give it to me. I'll take it home one night and enjoy it with a fresh bottle of wild You're turkey. You're going to hate it. You're going to hate it so much. I, you know, Shelley Long is one of those kind of people I have like a, a love-hate relationship with. I mean, I, I really loved her in um, Night Shift with Michael Keaton. Yeah. Prostitution. Hmm? But after that, I mean, even then you can't really buy her as being a prostitute. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I know. You're right. And if she was a prostitute, would I even buy her? I don't know. Well, she's eccentric in this movie. I just remember watching it on repeat over and over and over again. And 
I just know every line to it and has a special place in my 80s child heart. Yeah, well, Lexi, great letter. We will actually probably do exactly what you suggest and do a show on some of these movies. I would say starting off with David Bowie and his tight pants. Everything I've done, I've done for you. What's happening, hot stuff? Aha, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. Or, as Stephanie Hayes likes to say, mm. yes, exactly. <laughs> hey, it's the segment where we play a snippet of a movie from the 80s, and if you can uh, recognize it, and chances are you will, because nobody ever is stumped by my choices, you will win a prize, maybe. Mm. More likely than not, you'll just get your name read on air. <laughs> Don't get your hopes up, yeah, people. <laughs> I, I've been really lazy lately. I have not bought a single bag of Funyuns. Uh, we've had a couple uh, long-time listeners say, hey, I've got a company that can s- donate some prizes, and, and so we might have some stuff, in other words. Don't get their hopes up, Steve, really. Anyway, here was last week's very ridiculously easy clip. Listen, Hotshot, I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't care for you or for the putrid sludge you're trowling out, but until they change the laws to put you sleaze kings out of business, my job's to help you get back your stench-ridden boxes of smut, and since I'm going to be doing it holding my nose, I'll be doing it with one hand. Stephanie Hayes, give us the answer. That was Dragnet. With Dan Aykroyd, yep. yeah. I keep forgetting that's an 80s movie. I thought for sure people would be stumped by that one, but nobody was. Everyone's like, that's the easiest one. Yeah, I'm like, okay, thank you. You take your listeners for granted. You think you're better. And I also think it's probably the third straight Dan Aykroyd clip I've used. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, branch out. Yeah, no. Don't, uh, just, just a tip for next week. It's going to be trading places. <laughs> anyway, some of the winners from last week. John Hayes. Woo-hoo. Rowan. Yeah. Just Rowan. Like, um, <laughs> he doesn't need a last name. <laughs> a lot of these people don't. Alan Lindsay, uh, Martin Yu, Michael Humbird, uh, Craig Gossage. He always wins. Sherry Williams. So does she. Jason Spiller, and Mike Tarter. Sauce. Not to be confused with uh, his brother, who sometimes is on actually on the show. Anyway, listen carefully, because this week I'm taking no prisoners. Here's this week's clip. God, I'm so stupid. I can look, tell by the look on Stephanie's face, she's completely baffled. I am, but I always look this way. <laughs> <Yeah>. Coffee. <laughs> God, that sounded really, uh, I'm going to take that. I'm definitely believing that. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you think you know the name of this week's tune, email us at stuckin80s at tampabay.com because I can't wait to call you a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain that is Name That 80s Tune. Hey, it's our signature event here on Stuck in the 80s. This is where I play a snippet of the song from the 80s, and if you can name the artist and the song, you will win a uh, a hearty handshake. That's about all I can promise you. Not even. Um, no, because you'd have to come down here to get it. <laughs> and to this date, only one Stuck in the 80s fan is... No, two. I've only met two of them in person. Outside so- your bedroom window at night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shh. Don't say. Steve. <laughs> Let me in. Let me in. (laughs) No. Why don't you love me? Yeah. Uh, The lovely Jane and the lovely Sarah Hall are the only two people I've actually ever met in person. Anyway, here was last week's mystery tune. I could tell by the nodding on Stephanie's face that she's either falling asleep or she knows that this week's correct answer is... Ball of Confusion by Love and Rockets. Indeed.
Um, Love and Rockets was uh, one of the bands we talked about last week during the She's Having a Baby show. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try to confuse people by um, throwing in another one of their songs. And I confused nobody. But the actual winners were Vince from St. Pete, Martin Yu again. He always gets them all hey, right. Martin. And Bill Rich from Nokomis, uh, Florida, which, in case you don't know where that is, just south of Osprey, which, of course, begs the question where the hell is Osprey? <laughs> I know it's south of here. That, that's enough to know. South of Tampa Bay. I know Tampa and Orlando. So again, brace yourself, because here is this week's mystery tune. Aha! No one will get this one right. Aha! Aha! <laughs> the, um, I have, uh, I've gone deep into the uh, treasure trove of uh, forgotten CDs for that one. So wow. Anyway, if you think you have stumped me... It's not unheard of. Email me at stuckinthe80s at tippabay.com. And once again, it will be my pleasure to pronounce you the biggest wiener of all. If you're not ready to give up on mullets in Madonna, log on to Stuck in the 80s. Just one of the many blogs you'll find at tampabay.com, the website of the St. Petersburg Times. Relive the music, movies, and culture of the greatest decade ever. Only at tampabay.com. And we are back from another pointless commercial break. Stephanie. Steve. They Might Be Giants is playing here March 11th. Yeah, here. Are you going to go? I think I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to uh, go with my friend Emily, I believe, if everything works out. She's a, a writer here as well. And we were just talking yesterday about you know, how, uh, what They Might Be Giants meant to us and how we you know, got to know them and so forth. And her story was funnier than mine, I think. Her gay cousin Tony, who got banished to Utah for sneaking out of the house... At 4.30 in the morning, uh, introduced her to They Might Be Giants. So it was very risque and very naughty for her to listen to them, you know, because it was under the influence of Gay Cousin Tony, who was banished <laughs> to Utah. So we're going to go, uh, you know, reminisce and celebrate that um, March 11th at Janice Landing, I think. And we're going to rock out a little bit. What about I you? I don't know if there's ever been a uh, story on Stuck in the 80s that's ever been told that involved the, f- the phrases... Gay cousin, Utah, and they might be giant. You know, that's why I had to tell it. I think we've hit every Google search term there is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll be there. This will be the third time I'll see him. And um, I've, every time I've seen him has been here at Janice Landing. It's an outdoor venue um, here in St. Petersburg. March is the perfect time to go because it won't be too hot. And um, I'm hoping that... It will that- be if you're there. <sighs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I know. It will be a great show if indeed they do go back and play some of the classics from the old days. I'm going to hope for some of the 80s favorites. I'm hoping that they'll play Purple Toupee, which I've never heard them play live. Uh, I'm sure they'll play uh, She's an Angel. Yeah. They always do. Um, Crowd pleaser. They'll usually close with um, Istanbul, not Constantinople. Usually sometimes an encore. Uh, Sometimes they'll put Robot Parade there towards the end. It, It could be a good show. And I'm, uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that if we're really nice and we grease the right palms, you and I will get backstage. <laughs> See, I was saying the other day, like, hopefully, maybe I'll get to meet them after, you know, interviewing them and so forth. And then I realized, you know, probably I'll be standing behind their tour bus in a cloud of black exhaust as yeah. they peel off. And I'm going, John, hey, I love you. Don't you remember the time we shared? I remember I asked you that really clever question <laughs> about sour cream. <laughs> Did it mean nothing to you? Oh, boy. Anyway, until the dust from the tour bus clears, until uh, Stephanie Hayes dries her tears, until Sean Daly comes back into town, we remain here, firmly stuck in the 80s.
Stuck in the 80s is produced by TampaBay.com, the official website of the St. Petersburg Times. Special thanks to Germany's Czech Battery Daily for providing this song for the opening credits. Read the Stuck in the 80s blog at blogs.tempe.com and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. I have to ask the question about sour cream now. <laughs> you don't have to. It's almost funnier if you don't at this point. Because they're like, huh? <laughs> what question about sour cream? <laughs>